Hey there, you're listening to episode 78 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we're talking to Leo Sabo, president of the Christian Stewardship Network. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we're talking to Leo Sabo, president of the Christian Stewardship Network. Leo began his career as an airline mechanic, but God had other plans. Eventually, he transitioned to become full-time stewardship pastor for a large church in Texas. As his heart for shepherding the church in the area of generosity grew, he later went on to become president of CSN, which seeks to equip pastors all over the country to disciple their congregations into a life of joyful generosity. You won't want to miss all that he had to share. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you about our Finish Line Sprints. If you've been getting a lot out of this podcast and are looking for ways to take it to the next level, you should consider starting or joining a Sprint. A Sprint is a guided program for small groups meant to lead you through the overarching biblical themes related to wealth and money, while allowing you to explore the restored freedom and purpose that comes with choosing a financial finish line. The Sprint Guide is completely free, and it's available on our website at finishlinepledge.com sprint. Sprints are also completely self-led, so you don't need a trained leader or someone who's been through the program before. All you need are a couple friends to get started. So check it out and get a group together today. With that, let's get to the interview. All right, we're here with Leo Sabo today. Thank you so much for being with us, Leo. It's my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Uh, really appreciate the invite. I look forward to our conversation. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing and your faith background. Well, I grew up not in the U.S. actually migrated to the United States in 1981 with my family. I grew up in Romania while I was still under communism. And my parents migrated here after my uncle came and shared everything that the U.S. was, the land opportunity. So we came in 1981. I have three siblings. My sister is the oldest, and then I have two brothers, and I'm the youngest of the four. We grew up in a Christian home. It was actually a Pentecostal kind of denomination background. And really, it was a typical Christian home, very healthy in many ways, challenging in some ways, because, you know, you live in a communist country, that could be a bit challenging. It certainly was. But I came to the States. My parents really took a tremendous step. You know, they were 36 and 40 when they made that transition. And I'm so grateful that they did that to create the opportunities we have today. Anyway, but we came here, kind of landed in a, in a Romanian church because that was our background. So we landed there, uh, went to that church up until I was about 17 years old and then uh, headed off to college. Kind of got disillusioned with the church, to be honest, and had a hard time for a few years, met my wife, got married. And then we had an agreement that once we had children, we would go to church. And she was raised Catholic, so she didn't attend church except for Easter and Christmas. And but true to her word, she said, when we get pregnant, we'll do that. And we did. And she got radically saved. And yeah, it's been a wonderful marriage, family. We have two girls you know, really love God. I felt called to the ministry earlier on in my life, but didn't know what that meant. So I actually took a different route. I became an aircraft mechanic. I'm good with my hands. I've always been interested in how things work. So I landed in that, and then that brought us actually to Texas, which is, again, the hand of God. You don't really, you think you're taking your own steps, but in some ways God still controls it, so I love that. 
But he brought us to Texas, which was tremendous for our family. But also, we landed at a really good church, started serving there in the area of stewardship and finances, and then went on staff there, which was not part of my plan. But again, God had other plans. And since then, you know, that was in 2006 when I went full-time in ministry and been doing that since. So it's been now, you know, about 18 years and really about 21 years of serving in stewardship and generosity ministry, both volunteer and also full-time. So it's been an interesting journey, interesting way to get around to this. I tell people that I didn't take the normal route into full-time ministry, as many pastors and people who are called to ministry do. But I found that many of the people that I serve with in this area of stewardship ministry and generosity ministry, they don't come the normal route. They're not like you know, coming through the seminary model and then stepping into full-time ministry. Many of them are business owners, financial planners, and yeah, so God taps us on the shoulder and says, okay, I've got something for you to do. And it's been a, a tremendous journey really just to say, God, whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do. And that's been a tremendous blessing for me personally, but also for our family as I've, you know, continue to just follow the Lord. And I've had three transitions. So I've had three different careers, and but God's always been faithful to all of that. So it's been a tremendous blessing this whole time. Well, yeah, I know you have a deep heart for generosity, and that's already evident through some of the story that you've shared already. Uh, where did that first start to come into the story, and where did God start to move your heart in that direction? Yeah, so we were about four years into our marriage, my wife and I. My wife, her name is Natalie. We've been married for almost 34 years. And about four years into our marriage, we had made pretty much every financial mistake you can make. <laughs> Took on a ton of debt. We had, I think at the time when we started this journey, we had 13 credit cards. We purchased our first home. And then three months later, I got laid off from my job, which I had just started about 20, I think 21 months earlier. So I was just starting my career, making some good money, qualified to buy a house, did all that. But as far as managing money, we were just completely clueless. Our way of budgeting was... I would make two columns. One was the income. The other one was the expenses. So when a bill came in, I would put it on that list. And then when money came in, I'd put it on the list. And if there was money left over after the income covered the expenses, we considered that as money to expend. So the end of the month was always fun because we had always had a little bit of money left over, but we never saved. And then when we wanted to purchase things or we had to purchase things like repair cars or Christmas presents, we would rely on credit cards or our experiences would come from that. So we just continued to amass debt to the point where it just became unmanageable. And for me, that was a point of, you know, God had to humble me that way, I say, because I just was too stubborn and kind of self-assured that I knew what I was doing. And so I humbled myself. I asked God for help because I had no idea what I was doing. And being out of work, you know, really does motivate you to get on your knees when you have a house payment that you don't know how you're going to make. That was the beginning for me, but also for us as a family. And for me, I didn't recognize that money was actually really a God in my life. I looked at money as a way to define who I was, my success, how people looked at me. And I didn't realize that until this point. And that's where God began to really show me that I was competing. I was trying to serve two gods, really, honestly. That was the thing that I didn't know at the time. But I was trying to do my weekend thing and go to church and serve and be part of a life group and all the things that good Christian boys do. But yet, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday was my life. It was my terms. And God had to bring me to a point where he had to show me and reveal that to me. And once he did, you know, I committed to do it his way. And he began to teach me. And I always say that, you know, it's taken me a long time to learn these lessons because I'm a very slow learner. But once I learn it, you're not going to talk me out of it. You know, once I have that conviction, I'm in. But it took some time for me to understand it and understand the principles from the Word of God. I think in many times when we are discipled or not discipled as we you know, come into a relationship with Jesus, 
we miss that part of it. It seems like the whole financial thing is kind of a mystery, and we don't see it until the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us. And he did. That was my start. And then afterwards, after I saw the benefit of it, both in a spiritual and in a practical sense, that's when I fell in love with it. And I thought, everyone needs to know this. This is a barrier really to so many people, especially here in our Western society. Money can be a barrier to true commitment and true love for God. And so that's what I've committed my life to. And generosity is just part of that. I recognize that part of being a good steward was that I was doing things differently. I was managing God's money, not my money. So when it came to giving, tithing, my wife and I never had a problem with. We just understood it logically and we just did it. But it was more of something we had to do. And then when I truly began to understand it, that's where generosity began more of a focus for us. And so God has really given us opportunity and challenged us sometimes to give beyond our ability. So that's been a journey and something that we've done. But the thing that I would say about that is that it's really been, it's not easy. I don't know that it will be easy for us, but it is the one thing that we do that we are in full agreement. And when we do it that way, there's no greater joy that we experience. And also the spiritual growth that we have out of that, trusting God more, having more faith and love for God always, always follows that kind of decision. So yeah, it's definitely a lifelong journey and something we continue to grow in, but it is something that's really transformed our relationship with Christ. Leo, you talked about kind of discovering this new perspective. Did that come through reading a book or taking a course or someone discipling you or a sermon or a combination of all of those things? So there were several books and things that I've read, but really I think the one thing that helped both my wife and I to get on the same page with this, because early on it was really kind of my own struggle, my own spiritual journey that God was taking me on. I came from a very traditional background. My family, you know, the man was the man of the house and wife stayed home with the kids and So I kind of came into marriage that way, even though Natalie is very much an American woman. I did not marry a Romanian woman, which I'm the only one that didn't out of all of our siblings. But she was still very much, you know, wanted to stay home, raise the kids. We were able to do that. But it was more of my kind of my own responsibility. I'm going to do this. This is I got to get us out of this mess. I'm going to work and do whatever necessary. So I came to it from that perspective. And I think in some ways it hurt our relationship early on because my wife saw that as more of a you're trying to control, I can't spend money, those kind of things. So it took some time for us to get on the same page. I think what got us there, honestly, was a small group that we did. Back in the day when Crown Financial Ministries was very much in the church, it was very, they just had a lot of presence in the church at that time. And so we came to Gateway Church, the church I started and ended up working for, and we started leading groups there. We had led a couple of groups in our previous church, and really it was through that process of both of us going through this content together. It was a Bible study on money. That's really all it is. The practical stuff we already had down, we had done that for seven, eight years at that point. But the biblical and the spiritual side were still things that we needed to mature in and we needed to grow in together to have that unity. And I think that made a huge difference in our life. That small group study really put us on the same path. And then I personally started really falling in love with helping others. So I went through coaching programs. Larry Burkett had designed this Managing Money God's Way kind of study And I went through that, and then I went through the Dave Ramsey Consular Training later on. So it's definitely my ministry, something that I'm more passionate about. My wife understands it. She's part of me. She's a partner with me. But she's not called to that ministry. But that's where my passion and everything started. And then since then, of course, I've read a ton of books on it, and I have a huge library of books on stewardship. Probably my favorite would be Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. It's kind of like the Bible on money. That's something that every stewardship leader probably goes back to at least once a year to read through. 
Yep, that's definitely one that has come up many, many times on this podcast. I completely agree with you. So I'd like to dig in a little bit deeper to some of that initial transition into ministry through Gateway and what your role looks like there and how God began to kind of start to pave the path that you're on now. So the transition for me was I was doing a lot of this one-on-one coaching with people. I had a friend who was working as a stewardship pastor that I met while I was going through that training. And so I was serving at his church because my church, we were going through like a capital campaign and I was trying to serve, but there just wasn't a lot of interest early on for what I was offering. So I just went next door to the other church that he was part of and I started doing coaching there. So as I started really growing in that and going a passion for it, I was a terrible counselor early on. I really feel bad for the people that I <laughs> counseled early on because I was very much a, I'm a bottom line kind of person. I'm very detailed, but like, I know what my role is. I can give you very specific things you need to do. And if you just follow them, you'll be okay. And that was my mindset. It's like, just do what I tell you. You'll be fine. But I quickly realized that this is not a money issue. This is a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue. So it took some time to learn that, to really understand how to speak with people and help them. And then my wife and I made our transition to Gateway, again, leading these life groups, serving as a coach through the ministry early on before it was formalized. And then in 2006, while working as an aircraft mechanic, your Alliance Airport near us, I got a call that was kind of the challenge. It's like, have you ever thought of going into ministry full time? That's what my boss told me at the time, my future boss. And I said, yeah, I thought about it when I'm retired and I have all my ducks in a row and my retirement's all set and then I could do whatever God wants me to do anywhere he wants me to do it. And he's like, no, I mean, now, I mean, like you leave American and come here. And I thought, whoa, where did that come from? You know, the funny thing is, of course, I prayed about it. God confirmed it many, many, many ways. I gave my notice, had to give a longer notice than usual because I was in a very special type of job that you couldn't just pop somebody in there. So I gave him a little bit extra time. But the interesting comment that I would always get is from people. It's like, yeah, we totally saw this coming. And I was like, (laughs) why is it that I didn't? Like everyone else saw it except (laughs) me. And even my wife, you know, when I went in to tell her, hey, this is what's happening. And God's told me this is him. And I'm going to make this decision. It was a huge move for us. And she said to me, she said, well, I knew that. And I said, what do you mean you knew that? She said, don't you remember about a year ago, just after we came to Gateway, we were leaving the church and I told you, you better get ready because you're going to do this full time sooner than you think. And just like that, it just all came back. And I was like, you did say that. And I remember even what I said back to her. I said, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. That's literally my comment to her. And I just dismissed it. But again, God had a plan and a purpose. And like I said, I learn slow, but when I do, (laughs) I'm committed. So tell us a little bit about what that role looked like when you did accept that position and what did you learn through that process? Yeah. So when they brought me on, you know, the church that I was you know, now part of was a massive church growing, really. It was at about 5,000, 6,000 people at the time when I joined. But then by the time I became a pastor there, we were pushing over 15,000 and then kept growing to about 3,000 people every year. So by the time I left in 2017, we we're I think over 30, 32,000 a weekend, multiple, I think six campuses at that time. So it was like a rocket ship, you know, and, but the benefit of being part of a church that large is that we we're able to grow a very large stewardship ministry team. And I was one of three pastors and my role was very narrow. You're going to be the main guy who's going to counsel and train and coach people in the area of finances. But then you have to build an army of people that will do the same because we're going to all be overrun once we tell people we're here and we can help them. And that was true. As soon as I started and as soon as we put the shingle up, so to speak, and said, 
hey, we offer financial coaching, we always had a waiting list. So I started training people. In about three and a half years, I trained over 125 coaches. At the peak, we had a ministry that had 55 active coaches doing a minimum of two cases each. So about 100 families being ministered to any given time. And so that was my focus. It was really one-on-one coaching. And then over time, as the church began to add campuses, I started overseeing not just a coaching team, but more generally the staff and then eventually our team, I mean. And then from there, multiple campuses and trying to really get the DNA of the stewardship and generosity ministry across all campuses, which is a challenge at a multi-site church. So that's probably the most difficult part is to replicate what you're doing at the main campus across multiple campuses. That could be a real challenge. So I'm sure that encouraging stewardship and especially radical generosity is not an easy calling. And you're doing this across all the conditions you're talking about, multiple campuses through a whole team of different coaches. What were some of the challenges that you encountered in that time? And how did God kind of work through those challenges with you? Well, probably the biggest challenge was my own personal growth, really just understanding that the ministry had nothing to do with me. That was a hard lesson for me to learn because I'm a doer. I like to do a good job. I somewhat to a degree for a long time, I would measure myself by how well I did. And so I would do a job and expect people to say, okay, good job. And I would take too much from that to mean that, okay, now I'm good. Now I'm doing well. And that was something that God had to work in my life to help me understand that he loves me the way I am. And there's nothing I could do for him that would make him love me more. And so my performance, I had to learn about, you know, overworking and really making ministry my life. I think early on, this was something that my wife's been a great partner because she's also a very direct person. One of the things I really appreciated about Gateway Church is that they had a policy that if you overworked, that your wife could go to your oversight and complain and your oversight would take care of it. And so she's had to do that a couple of times and it kind of brought me back into alignment. And so I really appreciated that because Again, I'm a worker. It's hard for me to rest. I'm just not a person that sits around and just rests. Even when I'm off, I'm working, doing something, tinkering around the garage. But that was a very hard lesson. I think the reason I'm sharing it probably and going as deep into it is because there's people like me out there who are in ministry and feel like the more they do, the more God will be pleased. And I just want to speak to that person. God loves you so much. And the fact that he's called you into the ministry and you said, yes, there's nothing more you can do to please him. That doesn't mean you don't have a job. It doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard, but don't make your ministry your mistress. Make sure your family comes first. Make sure that you love your children and you spend time there. And God will make up whatever you think you can't do in the time that he's given you. He'll make it up some other way. So don't worry about that. Do your best, but learn to rest and to prioritize your family. But coming back to the question, I mean, I think that's the thing that I learned the most, but also the challenges were around trying to figure out a ministry that there was really no pattern. There was no strategy that anyone else had that could say, here's exactly how you do it. I remember my first day on the job, I asked my boss, I said, who should I be connecting with to learn what to do and how to do it? Who else is doing what you're asking me to do? And he connected me with a couple of individuals. One of them was very well versed in stewardship, had, was working at Willow Creek Church in Chicago, had been there for many, many years, had been around stewardship, my gosh, for 30 years at that point. So I asked him, I said, how would you do this job? And I remember him really struggling to tell me how to do it. And I thought, man, this guy's been doing as long as he has, and he's still trying to figure out how to do it in his context. That was kind of depressing in some way, but hopeful in another, because it helped me understand that, that I didn't have to follow anyone else's plan. I just needed to focus on serving people 
And the hardest part was learning how to actually do that because finances is a really, it's a tough thing. People who actually reach out and say, hey, we need help in this area. They're humbling themselves. They're coming to a point of almost embarrassment to say, we messed this up and they think no one else has ever done that. You know, they think they're alone in this. And so learning how to have empathy and how to help them understand that this is just part of the process. And just like any mistake we make, any sin we make, that there's forgiveness and there's hope and we can be restored and we can succeed in this area. And that part of it, I think, was the most challenging. It's learning how to do that and then helping others who are coming to be part of our team to have the same heart. Because sometimes we would get people that were just like me. Very, you know, I remember this one guy who was very, he was a military guy. He had retired from the military and he would have like a script for people before he even met them. And I'm like, bro, you can't do that. Like you don't even know them yet. You can't tell them what to do until you learn their story. So he didn't have a lot of success because of not understanding that empathy and really serving people and meeting them where they're at and then coaching them through that. So ministry is a tough thing because it's really, you're sacrificing anything that you think should be done and asking God to step in because really he's the only one that can change people. He's the only one that can heal hearts and, you know, bring conviction and humility so that people can take different steps and see success. So that was the hardest part of ministry is constantly remembering. And that's something I still have to do today. When things get a little bit overwhelming, I have to remind myself, God's in control. It's his ministry. I'm just a steward here. So I need to pause and ask him, what am I doing? What should I be doing? What do you want me to do? I think that's really good advice for all of us. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom there to really focus in on why God has called you into that and how much do you trust him to give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, and take that pressure off of you to push your plans forward and to actualize whatever it is that you think needs to be done and just really rely on God to come through and to show why he's brought you into that position You mentioned that you were in that role until 2017. What did the following season look like for you? So 2017, about May, I think it was, is when I stepped out of that position and honestly didn't know what was next. I remember the first couple of months, I just spent some time with God and said, okay, well, I've been here before. I know that you closed that door for a reason. He actually, God was very kind to allow the transition was about two year timeframe where what I was very passionate about became not less passionate, but just different. And so I started handing off things that I would love to do, like teach and meet with people. I started handing that off to some of the leaders that I had developed in that ministry, and they were doing a great job. But then I looked around and I'm like, well, now what am I going to do? And I remember meeting with my boss, and I thought God was going to take me in a different position where I would have the ability to really minister, because I started mentoring other churches on how to do stewardship ministry. Because we were a very influential church at that time, pastors and different leaders from different churches would call and say, hey, I see you guys are doing this workshop. Is it like Financial Peace University? What are you guys doing? Why are you doing it? And because I was the most senior person on staff at the time, I would get those calls. And, you know, I was kind of set aside to manage those kind of relationships. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought God was crafting a path for me to go in that direction through our missions team. And so after about a year of trying to figure out how that would look like, I was told, nope, that's not going to happen. And again, another closed door. But God was very gracious to help me to ease, kind of ease into the idea of your season here is ending. Because I thought, honestly, I was at a great church. I thought I was going to be there for the rest of my life. I couldn't imagine a different platform to be on. But God had other plans. So he kind of sidelined me for two years. And there were some lessons there that I learned that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. But he totally prepared me for the next season, which happened in 2019 when I came full time 
with CSN. I actually learned about CSN early on. I think it was 2007, right after I started my full-time position at Gateway. And then I came on board as a board member a few years later. So I was very much invested in the ministry, but we were a volunteer-run ministry. We were really just doing one event a year and just staying relationally connected. But outside of that, we didn't have a ton of influence or ability to do beyond that because we're all full-time pastors. We were just devoting a a little bit of our time to CSN. But then in 2018, as I was getting antsy, I was like, you guys are all in full-time ministry. I'm sitting on the sidelines. Like, I need to know, is there anything else we're going to do here? Or are we just going to have meetings and talk about things we could do? Or are we going to actually do something? And I kind of challenged everybody on our team to really pray and ask God, is there more that you want us to do? And we all came back, met as a board, and felt like God said, yes, there's more. And then during our board retreat, we had a board retreat for a couple of days. And at the end of that, they asked me to come on. As We determined on the first day that we needed to hire a full-time person, and that person would be the president. And then the next day, they're like, okay, I think we know who the person is. And I had the time and I had the passion and they offered it to me and I knew it was a God thing. So that was the two years. And there were some other things in between there. I started a couple of businesses, which I knew God wasn't going to bless to fruition, but I had to do something. Like I said, I'm a doer. So I couldn't just sit on the sidelines, but yet God used those as well. You know, he used them to teach me perseverance and patience and also learn a lot of skills that I didn't have that I didn't need as a pastor, but I do need overseeing CSN. So that's been a tremendous journey and benefit, but Definitely hard. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the Christian Stewardship Network and what the mission is of the organization and what you're trying to accomplish both then and now. Yeah, so the mission of CSN, really, this is something that we had to kind of refine after I came on, because after being with the organization full time, I realized that we didn't have a real clear direction of where we're going. Our main audience are two individuals. The senior pastor of the church or the teaching pastor can be the executive pastor, but really we need to influence the senior pastor with this message. And second is the stewardship leader, the person that's actually going to be doing the discipleship of the congregation, both in a spiritual and a practical sense. But our our mission is to train and equip church leaders to teach God's financial principles so that their people can experience intimacy with God, financial health, and the joy of giving. And really, when I say that we're trying to teach and equip church leaders, we're talking about the senior leadership. Because if senior leadership embraces and catches a vision for what stewardship and generosity really is to a believer, to a Christian, and one, if they practice it themselves, because they have to practice it themselves, this is not something you can fake. This is something that's either part of your life or it's not. If you're not a giver, you're not going to, with authority and boldness, talk about giving. (laughs) You're just not. You just can't fake it. But if they do it, and if they learn what it is, and again, The thing that I want to communicate to pastors here is that none of us were taught how to manage money. Most of us, I should say, were not taught how to manage money. It certainly wasn't taught in school. So unless our parents were wise with money and were intentional on teaching us about money, most of us were not taught this. So it's okay. That's all right. We all can learn it. And a pastor that's out there listening who doesn't feel like they're managing money well, maybe they don't have enough savings. Maybe they feel bad because they haven't invested enough for retirement and they feel scared about that. That's a reality that every single person faces, but with God and his principles, all of that can be turned around. All of that can be set in order. And this is why it's so important for pastors to get this, because if they do, then they see the importance of really sharing that with a body. And as they do that, people will experience that intimacy with God. They'll experience the financial health and the joy of giving. That all kind of falls one of the, it's like dominoes that will fall in a row. 
And this is something that we have a real, real passion for. Our vision really for the church is that every church would have a stewardship and generosity ministry expression. That doesn't have to be a full-time person. It could be a lay leader. It could be a team that's doing it. But we do feel like in our generation, if we're not talking about money, we're irrelevant. We don't have a seat at the table. Money is too important. And unfortunately, it's seen as an answer to most things in our world when it's not. And that's a lie of the enemy. That's mammon doing his bidding. And if we as a church, and especially the leadership of the church, are teaching every weekend and those stewardship leaders that could guide people through through these principles, helping them to embrace them and to walk them out. If we're not doing that, we're really saying to the congregation, hey, we can teach you about faith. We can teach you about marriage. We can teach you about all these things. But when it comes to money, sorry, you're going to have to go to the world and get that information. And I don't know anyone that would be happy with that. And certainly pastors shouldn't be. So this is why we're so passionate about it, because we feel like there's almost a veil over pastors' eyes that they really don't see this as they should. They think it's a money thing. It's just, you know, well, you know, if people need to learn how to manage money, get out of debt. Sure, they can go to Financial Peace University. They can listen to Dave Ramsey. But it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. And that's why it belongs in the church. I don't know any other entity that's more equipped to teach on this than the church. We have the truth, the word of God. It works. God's principles work. They work for non-believers, actually. You could see successful business people who implement biblical principles, and it works. So, yeah, we should definitely be teaching this. And this is why CSN exists, is to equip churches to help people that are called into the stewardship ministry role to both equip but also inspire people to a greater generosity. Because generosity is a byproduct of being a good steward. If you're managing God's resources, then you're going to do it his way. And he's going to tell you where to give it and how to use it and what to keep and what to give away. And generosity is just part of that. Leo, you said that you think there's a role for someone to be focused on stewardship and teaching these concepts in every church. But what is the reality today that you see in the American church, for example? I would say, I don't know the number of that. I don't know that we can really gauge that. It's definitely not a popular role. It's becoming more known. I can tell you in the last 20 some years that I've been part of this, I could count how many stewardship pastors were in the DFW area, which is a very large metroplex, I think around, I don't want to say 12 million people now. But I can count on one hand how many pastors, actually on one finger, how many stewardship pastors I knew, just one, the guy who ended up hiring me. And now I can say there are stewardship pastors out there that I don't know about. I'm constantly being introduced to people who have been doing this like I have for years. So I think there's more out there than certainly that I'm aware of. But I'll say through CSN, I know that I've met and connected with probably somewhere between four and 500 of these leaders. Now, most of these are doing something in the church. I'm talking about people who are actually serving in some role. Many of them are part-time or simply a lay leader. A few of us are full-time. I would say probably about 200, 250 or so of our group is full-time ministry in one way or another. So all that to say, Cody and Keelan, that it's not as popular as it should be. And that's what CSN is trying to do is to really, by getting a stewardship ministry in every church, really what we're saying is we want to bring the awareness that this is something that God is trying to do. God wants to raise up good stewards that he can entrust the kingdom to and his resources so that the Great Commission can be accomplished in our time. But I'm not seeing it. I'll tell you the biggest example would be is I took a marker and a map and I did a one mile circle around my house. And there were somewhere around 20 churches in that one mile circus. I mean, it's Texas, so everything's big here, churches including. And I went to every single website for these churches to look for something that told me that they're doing something in relation to stewardship. 
And about the only thing I found was a static page that says we do Financial Peace University. And it was either an email or a date when the next one's coming. But there was no expression of stewardship in these churches anywhere around me. Now, there are quite a few here in the DFW area, but still, I would say it's a small, small percentage. So we have a lot of work to do. I think pastors need to understand that this is not about money, because many churches have abdicated this responsibility to Dave Ramsey, which I think he's doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. Dave is a wonderful guy. He's doing a great job teaching practical finances, but he's not teaching the Bible on money, and he'll tell you that. He believes it, but that's not his mission. His, he's got a business, for-profit business. That's what he does. And what he does is really useful, but we need to teach people the Bible on money. And Dave's not going to take that on. The pastors need to take that on. So that's the struggle we have is that we feel like a lot of pastors think, oh, this is a money issue. Let's just get FPU in here and run the whole church through it. I think that'll benefit in some ways, but it's not going to change the culture. If you're not addressing the core issues, the biblical principles of saving, investing, all of those things from God's perspective and really guiding people to really make that decision of, God, you own it all. I'm giving it all back to you and I'm going to be a steward from now on. It doesn't belong to me anymore. This is something that my wife and I did in that first group that we did. It was called a quick claims deed, if you've heard of the term, with a deed. We actually crafted a deed and put all of our stuff in there, including our girls who at the time were teenagers. No, actually, I'm sorry, they were under 10 years old because we, we had just moved to Texas. And we said, God, all of these belong to you. We're just we're going to give them back to you. Our jobs, our house, our cars, everything. From that moment on, we said, as, to the best of our ability, we're going to manage everything as if it's not ours, it's yours. We're not perfect at this, but we always come back to that. You know, the way we spend money, the way we give, it's all based on that. And we need that in the church. We need to teach people that. I think the church needs to do better here. So, Leo, can you walk us through some of the concepts you would tell a new stewardship pastor trying to shepherd their congregation? What kind of things are going to be the pillars of what they need to be communicating to their congregation and helping their congregation to understand and really to initiate heart change on those fronts? Well, if you have the opportunity to have a stewardship leader in the church, what I would say to the stewardship leader is, obviously, you're coming to this with a passion to help people understand finances from a biblical perspective. So you have to keep that in focus. What you're teaching is God's word on money. You're teaching people how to align their faith with their finances. And that's a difficult thing. That's not an easy thing for people to give up, especially if they are financially in a good position. It's hard to say, oh, none of it belongs to me when you work so hard for it. But that's where you're coming from. You're really dealing with people's hearts. You're discipling people. That's really what you're doing. But this area of finances can be a real stumbling block for people. So this is an area that God's entrusted to you. So I would say the first thing that you want to do is start with the idea of, I need to get leadership on board. You really need to start with the staff. If you happen to be on staff, that's wonderful, because now you can begin to influence and communicate and help those staff members understand this as well as you do. So if you focus on that, I think that that's really going to give you a platform to really impact then the whole church. I've said it before, without the leadership buy-in, you're just not going to have the cultural shift that you're looking to have. You're going to have a few people that are going to be impacted in a very tremendous way. But if the church isn't that way, there are other situations that happen in a church. Realize that we all know this, a ministry cannot survive without resources, right? People resources, but also money. Finances are necessary. You have to pay bills. You have to keep the lights on. You have to pay your staff. And if you don't 
understand stewardship from that perspective and you're not teaching people to manage it and then be generous, your giving is going to be affected. I hope you have a chance to talk a little bit about giving in the church, but giving isn't great in the church right now. And if we're not careful in the next 20, 30 years, it'll be a lot worse than it is today. But without the staff buy-in, it's really hard to sell this to anyone else. Here's why. The senior pastor gets up every Sunday morning and preaches. And that is, when I go to church, I'm looking to my pastor to give me wisdom from God's Word that's going to challenge the way I think, the way I live. If I need to repent, I hope he tells me the truth so I can repent. And so he's going to talk about things that are going to challenge me to grow spiritually. That's what I'm hoping for. It's a, a spiritual nourishment. But if he doesn't talk about money at all, and yet money is a real problem that I deal with every single day, then I have to assume that maybe God doesn't care about money. I mean, you know, unless I'm digging through the Word and seeing it myself, I'm going to think, well, I guess God doesn't care about money. Either He doesn't want me to have it, or He doesn't care how I use it. And that's wrong on both sides. So if we say nothing at all, then people will just take it as, well, it's not important, or this topic I need to search somewhere else. I need to get my wisdom and my information from somewhere else. It might be financially successful people. It might be, you know, people that I follow on Instagram or on YouTube. Unfortunately, if those people aren't stewards themselves and they're not communicating God's truth, they can give you good wisdom on how to get rich, but that might actually take you further away from God rather than closer. Riches can pull your heart away from God. It's a primary competitor. So that's the first thing. Start with the staff, certainly with senior leadership. And then the second thing is don't try to do everything yourself. This is not a Lone Ranger ministry. There's a lot of people in your church that need this. I would say a majority of them do. If you look at the statistics that 78% of people don't have enough money to get through an emergency, and then I think, I don't know, I want somewhere in 60, 60 some percent do not live on a written budget. So when you start talking about this, and it's a lifeline, because that's what it will be to people, they'll want to know. They'll want to know, how do I do this? They'll be knocking on your door, and you can't do this on your own. So you need to raise up an army. And the beautiful thing is that I've noticed that when God begins to do this work in a church, he's already placed people with this passion in the church. And as soon as you share the vision, you're going to have a bunch of people come and say, I'm interested in this. How can I help? I believe that to be true. It's been my experience. I've never had a hard time recruiting volunteers. Now, I know it was a big church and there was a pool was large, but I'm telling you, never had a hard time because God will bring people. You just need to share the vision clearly. And then next, as soon as you have the team, as soon as you're building that team, then just start. Start with the program that you can reach most people in your church. It might be Financial Peace University. It might be Freed Up, which is a course, an app-based course, a small group course that's done through Good Sense, one of our partners. Or The Compass, Building Your Finances God's Way. All of these are off-the-shelf content and small group content that you could use right away to begin to build a foundation. And that's what people really need. And then beyond that, you can develop the ministry as the time allows and as the need grows you know, more. There is no one content or curriculum. We've learned this over the years. There's not one curriculum or one content that will discipline your people. There's no such thing. It's a lifelong journey. We're all on that journey. And you just need to meet people wherever they are and help them take the next step. If it's to start, then to start. But if it's to take the next step, then that's what you're there for. And a stewardship leader is so, so crucial to that. It's really, in my opinion, it needs to be someone that it's actually on staff. Because if that person's on staff, that person's recognized as a leader that's been promoted and put in that place by the church. So they have the authority to be able to make decisions and lead people. It just has more success when it's done that way. And I have a little bit of a follow-up question on that. Regarding the senior leadership and especially teaching pastor or lead pastor, I think that there's a hesitation 
in some places to talk about money because it comes off as, or it can come off if not executed well, as what the new person is expecting to hear is, now that you're here, you know, you need to be more generous and give all your money to the church. I think well-intentioned pastors can be hesitant about not wanting to, you know, bring that message in a way that paints the church in a bad light. But on the other hand, you know, we, as you have said, and as we know, there is a deep calling. I mean, Jesus talked more about money than almost any other topic. Money and generosity is a discipleship issue. It is a critical foundational part of the Christian faith, and anybody who is seeking to grow in faith needs to incorporate all of this into their life and their growth. How do you help coach a teaching pastor to moving from, you know, you need to be generous to help support the church to this is a critical part of your life as a Christian? It's a great question, and it's one we're very, very aware of. We know that pastors, I would say a majority, a large majority of pastors have the right heart. They don't go into ministry thinking they're going to be, you know, a mega church pastor with a ton of money and a big house. I don't know any pastor that really goes into the ministry with those kind of ideas or perceptions. They really just want to serve God, right? They're called into the ministry. It's a humbling thing to be called by God to do something like that. So I think most pastors have that heart, a huge majority of them. So having said that, I know that they have a desire to do the right thing. And I think that's why so many of them say, man, I'm just not going to talk about money or ask for money because I don't want people to think the wrong thing. I don't want them to think I'm about the money. And I know one very, very well-known pastor who his staff who I met with actually said this. He said, he will not talk about this. He will not ask for money. He will not talk about this. And, and I said, well, why? And they said to me, well, because he doesn't want to appear to be someone that's after people's money. And I said, I totally understand that. But here's the thing. If you don't talk about a topic that people struggle with, it's unkind. It's unloving to not help people where you need to help them. So I don't say this as a condemnation toward pastors. I totally understand the precarious, possibly precarious position that they hold. But I will say this. They're probably not shy about talking about sin or marriage or faith or any other topic in the Bible. There's really not a lot of things in the Bible that pastors are shy about talking. But when it comes to money, there is this opposition. There's this thing that rises up in them or in their minds to create an opposition. And I fully believe that this is the spirit of mammon. See, the spirit of mammon is a deceptive spirit. He works in the shadows. He works in behind. He promises things, good things, that even God himself wants us to have. He wants us to have wealth. He wants us to have prosperity. And that's what he's pushing. But he's pushing it from the perspective of you can have all of this, you don't need God. That's the only difference. You can have all of these things God said, you just don't need God. Just like he did in the garden, Satan did in the garden. He said, you don't need God, you could be gods. You just have to, you know, you can have the knowledge of good and evil. So in the same way, I think pastors have fallen victim to thinking, I'm doing the right thing by not saying this because my people won't think I'm this way. But I want to talk to you, senior pastor or teaching pastor, you are doing a disservice to your people because people need to know truth. And the word of God is clear. And when you talk from the right perspective, and we say it this way at CSN, we say you should be talking as if you're, in your heart is it's not what you want from them. It's what you want for them. And I think it was Andy Stanley who made that famous. So if you get up there and say, I don't want anything from you, because at the end of the day, the ministry, the church, everything that's going to happen, it's up to God to resources. 
It's not up to the people in the church to make sure the church has enough money to pay its bills and take care of its stuff. No, that's God's responsibility. And if the pastor thinks that it's up to the people, then they will talk in such a way to try to convince people to give because, hey, their job is on the line, the church's health is on the line. But if their hope is in God, and God alone as provider, then they're released from that fear of what if people stop giving. And this is where a pastor needs to take that bold stance. And remember, God has called them to help him build the church, not for them to build the church. And I think if they do that, and listen, we're here as an organization to come alongside pastors. One of the things that we've done as a ministry is we have a couple of our long-term board members, but also members of CSN who developed a workshop. It's a seven-hour workshop that we do. We just did one just a couple of weeks ago in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we did, we had 153 pastors at this event. And I can tell you that every single time we do this event, we have these testimonies from pastors saying, I never heard this. I've never really understood this the way I understand it now, because I do believe there's a spiritual influence to keep pastors almost afraid or shy or whatever about this topic. And I just want to say to them, you don't need to be that way. You can be as bold talking about this topic as about any other topic. And it doesn't mean you have to be a financial professional. It doesn't mean you have to have your complete house in order. No, all you have to do is understand that you're a steward yourself and be walking that out. And if you are, just like a disciple who becomes a disciple can disciple others, this is no different. And I just want to encourage them. If I could sit down with pastors all over America, I would just so encourage them that this is a step in the right direction. And God is so going to bless when they take this on and really help people to wrestle this to the ground and really understand that when they put God first, their life is going to change dramatically in the right way. And they have that opportunity. Really, they do. And I hope they take it. Leo, what does it look like when a church does this well, when they carry this message of stewardship into the congregation? And I imagine it can have some transformative results. Just in your experience, what does that look like when the message of generosity takes hold and that becomes part of the culture of a church? Yeah. So, you know, I had the privilege of being at Gateway and our senior pastor, Robert Morris, was very much, in fact, that's probably his number one passion is stewardship and generosity. So he had this message that he crafted years ago. It actually came from a book that he wrote, I think, over a weekend, if I'm not mistaken. It's The Blessed Life. And it's been a tremendously beneficial book. But he would do this series. It was a six-part message that he did called The Blessed Life. And I was a gateway for about 15 years in total. And I've heard him preach that probably six or seven times because he would do it about every two years. And the reason he did it every two years is because he recognized that there were a bunch of people in the church that hadn't heard the message that have come in the last two years since he had you know, preached it last. And we would see giving go up by double digits every time he would teach that. And here's the thing. It's not because it's a manipulative message. It's not because he knew how to deliver it. It's because I believe he just shared the truth. And the truth is, when you put God first in your finances, when you say, God, it all belongs to you and I'm going to put you first, and you recognize that everything that's coming against you, it's really just the enemy trying to make you afraid and trying to make you think, you know, I have to watch out for myself. But listen, when God has promised you eternal life, he's also promised you everything else, right? He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to save you, but you're going to have to live miserably for the next 80 years and then you get to come home and go to heaven. No, he said, you, you know, I have come to give them life and give it more abundantly. And so what I saw at Gateway was this example of, Here's a senior pastor that's teaching on this biblically 
and he's trusting God for the provision. And I had never seen, I've never been part of a church who is as generous as Gateway. We had this yearly campaign called Heart for the Kingdom. And, you know, being on staff, we would get reports of the giving and all of that, you know, just a monthly report. But I remember the budget being X amount and having the Heart for the Kingdom was like over $20, $22 million almost every single year for multiple years in a row. And that was on top of the budget. But this is a church that also practiced generosity. 15% of the budget went outside of Gateway Church. It was given to Jewish ministries because Romans 8 says the gospel is to be go to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So that was a very specific desire that a revelation that our pastor had that said we're to evangelize the Jewish people, right? That's just something we should do. It should be a priority. It was to Paul. It was to Jesus. It was to everybody. You know, we should do the same. Anyway, the generosity I saw and everything that happened at Gateway was because there was this dual role. The pastor preacher from the pulpit, he brought conviction and wisdom and revelation through the God's word. And that motivated people not only to trust God in their giving, but also to take the step toward, let me become a better steward so that I am a lifelong giver. And so we had this great relationship where our team would teach and train people. We had workshops, we had classes, we had small groups and things that we would equip people in coaching one-on-one while our pastor just continued to share that burden from the pulpit. And I think you have to have both. You have to have the preaching and the teaching. The preaching, as our pastor would say, imparts that burden for you to want to go deeper, to really trust God and to move to that next level spiritually. And then the teaching gives you the how, right? It gives you the ingredients to build that cake, so to speak. And it's really important that we do both. And I think this is where stewardship ministry, stewardship and generosity ministry really can be very effective because they have a senior leader that is preaching it. And then the people say, well, this is something we talk about. So sure, there's a class on how to manage money. It's not odd because our pastor talks about money, and I think that's the healthy way to do it. And you've talked a couple of times about a couple of different components of stewardship. Really, it's not just one thing. And I think we can all agree that a lot of the financial foundations of management of debt and retirement and budgeting, a lot of these core kind of principles are incredibly important. Moving on to that next step of kind of stepping out into generosity and, you know, beyond just tithing and really kind of in a walk in step with God as far as he leads you. How do you go about trying to get that message to a congregation, assuming that you already have the components in place to kind of work on the financial health aspect of it as well? Well, what I love about what you just asked, Keelan, is that when you are doing this and it becomes part of the ministry of the church and the discipleship where you're helping people become financially healthy, you're giving them an opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God, whether it's in the church or outside the church, then people get a chance to practice this. They get a chance to become generous, just as my wife and I did. You know, the multiple capital campaigns, if you want to call them that, I don't really like that term so much, but it is what it is. Ultimately, though, churches need money, and sometimes there's growth that's beyond what the budget can handle. So it's okay. You know, you raise money. I've always been grateful for those opportunities because I need to be challenged to give. If somebody's not challenged me to give, I'm probably not going to get up every morning thinking, gosh, where can I give more money? (laughs) You know, I'm faithful to tithing. All of that is beyond any question for me or my wife. But we have to be challenged in giving beyond that. And the kingdom of God will advance when we do that, whether it's in the projects we do within our church or outside of our church. And I think a church needs to be both internally and externally focused. I think if you're not ministering to the community around you, and even beyond that, if you have the ability and the resources, 
then you're not really being the church. You're just being a family that's kind of keeping the doors locked. And so I saw that example so well at Gateway that that generosity just overflowed. And I saw just some miracles happen because when people gave, it wasn't just, oh, I gave and the church received money or the project got completed. They saw a spiritual growth in themselves. And this is what I loved about the way generosity was communicated is that it was, we're giving you an opportunity to trust God more and not, we need more money because we need to build something. And if you really understand it that way, then no message that's delivered right and it's biblical will ever offend you, you know, but sometimes people would be offended, but it's because they didn't have that perspective. You know, they're still thinking of their money as their own and they see the church with a big building and they think, why didn't need more money? Well, you know, it says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, you know, you have to put your treasure first and then your heart follows it. It's not the other way around. And so unless we make a commitment to the kingdom of God, and of course, if we're in a local body, we should be supporting that family. But I think it's such an opportunity that we get to have. And a pastor really has that opportunity to grow people beyond the tithe. I think that should be certainly the training wheels of giving. But I found that, in fact, the statistics show that people who tithe rarely give just 10%. Rarely. Like most of them give way above the tithe. And that's because once you tithe and you see the blessing and the favor of God and the wisdom that comes from that, because it does really give you wisdom to manage the other 90%. It really does. I can't explain any other way. But once you have that, you recognize so much more. The generosity is so much more than just checking off the box, the tithe box. And so I don't get really excited about tithing in itself. I think it's just the training wheels. People tend to kind of argue that, that it's Old Testament, New Testament. I don't know where people stand, and it's not my place to convict you or convince you of anything. My challenge to everyone who has a problem with that word or with that practice is really think about it this way. Do you think that God should be first in your life? And if you do, then money should be part of that too. And now, maybe a tithe is too much for you right now. Okay, start with 3%, start with 5%, whatever you want to do. But if it's not a sacrifice, then you're really not putting God first, Right? You know, if I buy a gift for my wife and it's not a sacrifice, she'll know it's not a sacrifice. She'll know I didn't give it any thought. I just, you know, stopped by, bought something, and it was just something just so that I check a box. And she wouldn't be happy about that gift. But if I took the time to look for the right gift, to surprise her with it, and just, you know, to have it really of value. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it has to be something that means something. And I think for us, tithing is that acknowledgement. God, everything I have comes from your hand, as David said. How could I be generous? I'm just giving you back what you have. Really, when you're tithing, you're not giving God your money. You're giving his money right back to him. But what you're doing is you're giving your heart to God. And there's no greater joy that God will have than you give him his heart. That's generosity on our part. Everything else I don't think is generosity. It's just us helping God do what he wants to do. It's obedience, but it's not generosity. In my opinion, it's not generosity. Because I can't be generous with something that's not of my own. I can't. But I can be generous because I'm giving God my heart every time I do that. So my generosity is in my heart posture, not in my actual dollar amount or check written. And I think that's an important distinction that we have to take our people to. But we have to start with the training wheels and then work work that way. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful perspective and not to get into legalism of like, what's the right amount to give or like checking boxes. It really is a heart condition conversation and it's experienced. And I think that really comes through in the way that you're talking. And I'm sure the way that you're teaching is you have to take a step and let God meet you there. And we've seen that happen, you know, in our own lives and so many people that we've gotten to talk with over the last few years. 
But Leo, what are you excited about when you think about the next five or 10 years? I guess the thing that I would be, I would say I'm most excited about is the potential of reaching more senior pastors and more teaching pastors to cast a vision for stewardship and generosity. We are prepared to do that. We are at a point right now in the ministry where really we can continue to scale this, where we can meet more pastors, share this theological perspective on money and generosity. And through our Stewardship Impact Workshop, we have a membership that also allows churches to join the conversation and learn from the things that we have learned ourselves that we share. My greatest really hope is that pastors really would catch a vision for this. And really, that's what I get up every morning and want to do is to help pastors understand how important this is, not just to them and to their church, but to the people that they love and are serving every single week. So I think it's something that, you know, when we think about all the goals that we have, and we have some great goals, you know, in the next few years, and the strategy to carry it out, you know. Yeah, we need the funding, but we trust God to provide that as well as anyone does. You know, we've developed some deep partnerships that we work with so that these are like-minded organizations that also support and serve the church in this area. So we believe this is a move of God. We believe that in our generation, especially money, meaning mammon, is the God of this age. And as wealth continues to increase, and we see that happening, we have more millionaires than ever, more billionaires than ever. People are learning that money doesn't provide the happiness and fulfillment they thought it would. You know, that mammon is a liar, and they bought into a lie. And as that happens, we need to be prepared to say, we have the answer. Jesus is the answer. You know, there's a lot of financial experts, Christians and non-Christians, that actually believe that there are hard economic times coming. You know, when we look at the debt, look at so many different economic indicators that tell us things aren't going to fix themselves, and we're going to have some serious corrections coming. I don't know how much longer we can push that can down the road, but I know that at least in my children's time, if it doesn't happen in mine, that this will have to be dealt with. So I don't look at that as something to fear. I actually look at that as a great opportunity for God to be revealed and for people to be exposed to the truth that God is the only answer. And if we're available and willing, I think he'll use us in that way because God is the answer. Jesus is the one that's promised all these things to us. And money will never do that. I'm not against wealth. In fact, the reason I do what I do is that I want the Christian, the body of Christ, his bride, to be wealthy and influential. I think it's hard to be influential if you're not wealthy in today's day and age. You don't need money to be influential, but it does help. It gets it opens doors that you normally wouldn't have. And more importantly, there's people at all levels of society that need Jesus. Millionaires and billionaires need Jesus. If we're not relevant in that way, if we don't manage money differently than the rest of the world that's struggling with money, then the world's not going to look to the church and say, well, they're doing something different that we can learn from. They're going to say, well, they're just as messed up as we are. Why do we need to go to the church? Why do I need God when everything is the same? Unfortunately, it's a negative statement, I guess, against the church because we should be different. We should be the most happiest, most fulfilled, healthiest financially, and the most generous people on earth. And that really, that love and generosity should draw people in. But it's hard. It's hard when you're just struggling to make the next mortgage payment or car payment. So we hope to change that or at least make a huge dent in it in this generation. And that's our hope. Well, Leo, before we get to our manager's minute, where can people learn more about CSN and get connected, get plugged in? Yeah, so you can go to Christian Stewardship Network. Dot com. Unfortunately, CSN was taken, so we took the longest route, christianstewardshipnetwork.com. You can find us there. You can find everything that we do. We have a bunch of great blogs and podcasts. We have a podcast called Stewardship Leader, where we talk to stewardship leaders and also pastors about this topic and about everything that's related to doing this in the church. And then also, of course, webinars and other things that we do. So we'd love to have you come 
benefit. There's a lot of free stuff. We also have our membership. If you're interested in taking the next step, we have a membership and, of course, events. Come join us at one of our events. I think if you come to our annual forum, you will be deeply impacted by this. And I hope we get to meet you. I hope we get to speak in and encourage you, especially if you're a senior pastor. We'd love to connect with you. If you want to connect with me, just leo at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Love to talk to you. Love to share anything I can to help you in this journey. Yeah, man, I encourage everybody to take him up on that. We like to leave some time at the end of every episode for our manager's minute. And we like to end with just a practical action our listeners can take to step into their role as stewards and manage God's wealth wisely. So, Leo, do you have any suggestions for our listeners today? Man, there are so many that I could share, but I'll have to just narrow it down to one, I guess. I'd say put God first. Really think about that. What does it look like for you to put God first right now in your life? I don't know how you're managing your money. I don't know whether you're giving or not giving, whether you're tithing or not tithing. What's important here is to understand and take this first step to say, God, I recognize that everything comes from you. We all can agree with that in theory, but I'm challenging you to go one step further and say, okay, I believe that's true. Let me take one step toward that. Maybe that's you giving for the first time to your church. Maybe it's just beginning to track your expenses, right? You're beginning to do things God's way. And I would encourage you just to take that next step to put God first. Follow his leading, follow his principles, learn everything you can, and your life will never be the same. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Leo. This has been a fantastic conversation and a very important one, one that I think will continue for many, many years. And like you're saying, I hope that the trend continues, that stewardship becomes a much bigger part of what we're talking about in the local church. So thanks for joining us today and for sharing and for all that you do for the church and for bringing the message of generosity and stewardship out there. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to share. I appreciate both of you. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who's living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we would love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. Just a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 78. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. <music>